right. Well, good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining today, or if it's evening, good evening. Thanks for joining us. Um, hopefully today you're able to enjoy this snow. Obviously, we're, we pre-recorded this for an event like this where we had to cancel, so thanks for joining us anyways. Um, in case you don't know me or I haven't had a chance to meet you, uh, my name's David. I'm actually on staff here, and uh, today I get the privilege of continuing our series through the book of Jonah. And, and today we're actually in uh, week five, and we're actually going to be in chapter three. I'm going to um, go through the whole chapter t- today. It's only 10 verses. So what I'm going to do first is just read that. Um, I'll also read the first verse of chapter four, um, and then we'll get rolling. So this is Jonah chapter three. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. So Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now Nineveh was an extremely large city, a three-day walk, and Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. The men of Nineveh believed in God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least. When word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By order of the king and his nobles, no man or beast, herd or flock is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from from the violence he is doing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. Then God saw their actions, that they had turned turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened to do to them, and he did not do it. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. So, uh, so this is where we're at today. We're in Jonah chapter three, and uh, today is actually, if you're listening to this on Sunday, it's actually the last day of January. It's January 31st, uh, and what that means is that by uh, tomorrow morning, 80% of all New Year's resolutions will have been completely abandoned. Um, apparently, uh, studies show that f- uh, four out of five, or really eight out of ten, uh, New Year's resolutions um, are completely dropped like a bad habit by the beginning of February. And uh, I don't know if you're if you're into New Year's resolutions or not, I'm not a huge resolutions guy. I um I have a kind of a light one this year to kind of try to read more. I like reading, just want to read more this year. But um, whether you like them or not, New Year's resolutions uh, really do give us kind of a glimpse at uh, something about people that I think is pretty interesting. It's that we we really all desire change. We desire positive change. And um, whether you like resolutions or not, you can probably see this in yourself. And we don't just desire it on a personal level, uh, we also desire it kind of on the grand level. You know, we want to see change in the world. And, you know, take a look at the news or, or look at social media for more than, you know, two seconds, and you'll probably see plenty of things about the world uh, that you think need to change or that you think want to change. And really, we, we're just aware that this world isn't, it's not perfect, it's not ideal, and uh, we want a different world than the one we've got. We want to change it. And um, it might be interesting for you to hear that God is also interested in change. And uh, he actually cares about change more than, more than you do, more than, more than I do. And uh, what we're actually going to talk about today out of Jonah chapter 3 is not, not just that God is interested in change or that he cares about change, but we're actually going to look at how God changes the world. And uh, we have three ideas we're going to look at to do that. And the, f- the first idea we're going to look at out of this, uh, this passage from Jonah about how God changes the world is that God changes the world through reconciliation. And uh, we can see this in a, in a few different places. We can see this in the fact that uh, he's continually pursuing Jonah. You know, we see at the beginning of chapter 3, it says he came to Jonah a second time. You know, all of chapter 2 was him pursuing Jonah. Um, so we see this, that he's, he's reconciling this relationship with Jonah. He's pursuing Jonah. We also see it in the fact that, 
that he's even sending Jonah to Nineveh in the first place. You know, he's seeking to reconcile that relationship. He's not just destroying them. It sounds like maybe a scary message or a warning he's sending, but that, that warning is for the purpose of reconciling the relationship with them turning back to him. And we actually see this really all through through history. It's kind of the grand narrative of history. Is ever since sin entered the world, uh, God's been really executing his plan or enacting his plan uh, to restore the relationship, to really um, reconcile the relationship of, of his creation with, with himself. You know, his, his whole plan for redemption. We see that all through through God's word. And what we see in this story of Jonah, and really what we see all through the Bible, is that this ideal world that we all kind of have a kind of a longing for or a desire for, even if we don't know exactly what it's supposed to look like or, or how to get there, I think we do all have this desire for this ideal world. And, and really what this story and what, what all of the Bible shows us is that that ideal world is only possible. It's only possible through a renewed and a right relationship with God. And uh, before I go any further, I just want to kind of acknowledge that that can be hard for us to hear. I think it can be hard for us to hear for a lot of reasons, but I, I, a few of them that come to, to mind is that, you know, first, that can be hard for us to hear because, you know, to, to hear something like that, that, you know, a reconciled world or a changed world is only possible through a relationship with God, it can, it can bother us because it means God's in charge. You know, that would mean that this is his creation, and his creation can only be right if it's made right with him, the creator. You know, and that we want to change the world, but we want to change it our way. You know, we, we want to change the world. We just don't, we don't like necessarily engaging with that idea that there's this higher creator that we need to be in right relationship with. And, and as we make our efforts to change the world, we can still even sometimes, you know, we can seek after some of the same sort of change or some of the things that God would say are good and what, what he's seeking. Things like love, joy, peace, you know, a future of no pain, of no suffering, no death, but, but we'll seek those things everywhere but in God. And this idea of, of needing to be reconciled to, to God can also be hard for us to hear uh, because we might not think we need that. You know, the idea of reconciliation uh, indicates that a relationship has been broken, you know, and, and maybe you feel like you're, you're a pretty good person, so that doesn't really sound good to you. You're like, I don't know if I need to be reconciled to God. I'm not, I'm, I do pretty good, and, and I'm not nearly as bad as those people. You know, you could look at whoever you know, you see as Nineveh in your world and say, I'm not as bad as those people. So the idea of being reconciled can bother you because, you know, maybe we don't think we need it or we don't think other people deserve it, which that's kind of the glimpse we get in, in, in Jonah. You know, we see him angry and furious at the fact that Nineveh actually listened to him and actually turned back to God. But I'll just say, you know, this, this can be hard for us to hear that the only solution is for us to be made right with God. The only solution for real change in the world is to be made right with God and, and to be reconciled with God. But, uh, and I think that's hard for us to hear also just because our natural reaction can be to just blame God for this less than ideal world we live in and, and then try to fix the broken world we live in through our own efforts and, and while completely disregarding God. And we can so often end up making things worse, you know, as we go about doing that. And um, I was uh, recently reading a book, I'm actually still currently reading a book uh, about poverty alleviation. Uh, it's actually called uh, When Helping Hurts. It's actually talking about this idea of how even our best efforts and our good intention can sometimes make things worse as we go about to change the world. But, but in this book, um, they talk about our, our four relationships that every human has. You know, and those relationships are with God, with ourself, with each other, you know, with other people, and then with the rest of creation, the rest of the world. And, uh, and what they point out in this book is that whether we like to acknowledge it or not, our primary relationship from which all those other relationships flow out of is our relationship with God. So in other words, you know, how you relate to God is going to affect how you relate to everything else around you, the entire world around you. So if that relationship with God can be made right, can be reconciled, then so then what that can happen is the rest of our relationships can be repaired and reconciled through that as well. And, 
And if we really want to see a changed world, if we really want to see a world that's transformed, we need this kind of reconciliation, this kind of change that, that only comes through this type of reconciliation. Because God's way is so unique and so different from ours. Even, even our best, you know, best-intentioned plans for, for bringing people together, for reconciling, for change, they always leave somebody out as, you know, demonized or they need to be silenced or ostracized. And it's not always intentional where we say that person needs to be silenced, but but we still do that. We tend to do that with even our best intention plans. But what we see what we see God doing in chapter 3 of Jonah is we see him pursuing two really two types of people that uh, that I think we would so easily write off and we would so easily just completely disregard and try to silence. Because first you have you have Jonah who for, you know, lack of a better term, he's, he's really, I mean, if you read the book of Jonah, he's really kind of a self-righteous, religious bigot, the way that he treats Nineveh, the way that he, he acts throughout the whole book. And that's somebody in our day and age so easy to write off, so easy to silence. But what we see God doing is being patient with Jonah, pursuing Jonah, and reconciling with Jonah. And then you see God also doing the same thing for Nineveh. And you see Nineveh, which is this, this evil, unjust, violent society, which would be super easy for us to write off. Again, a type of person, you know, there'd be so much injustice and violence and evil, you'd be like, okay, they're not part of the solution. But what God is doing by sending Jonah there, we see him showing grace by extending a message of, hey, turn back to me, and then extending grace by sparing them. So what we see there is that God's way is so different from ours. And um, each and every one of us, you know, we're just, like, that's good news for us, that, that Jonah and Nineveh are the type of people that, that God pursues, because each and every one of us have, we've forgotten God, we've rejected God, we've gone our own way, and yet God seeks reconciliation with us by sending his son to repair the relationship that we broke. And this type of love, this type of reconciliation, that it's not natural to us, but when we experience that, when we experience the reconciliation that God has, his, and we experience a relationship with him, it doesn't just change us individually. It changes our families and our societies and our cities and the world. And we see that as clear as day in Nineveh. Because you see, when Jonah brings that message to them, it says immediately they believe and they repent. And then when you look at, which repent means to turn away from their evil ways, and you look at the decree that the king gives, it's actually pretty interesting to see. He says, to turn away from your evil ways. Everyone put away your evil ways and the violence that you're doing. And that word violence can also mean injustice. So what, you see, what we see is there's this, your evil ways, you're, you're turning back to God, you're reconciling your relationship with God is immediately followed by put away your violence that you're doing with your hands. You know, it's the vertical relationship immediately impacts horizontal relationships. So you would have seen great reform in that city. You would have seen, you know, violence and injustice on the decline. You know, that would be big news in our world today to see that kind of change in a city. And it started with turning back to God. It started with that reconciled relationship. And I think what's important to see here is that God's not only interested in sparing people or in sparing us from divine destruction, because that, that he did spare them from divine destruction, but on top of that, he spared them from the destruction that their own sin, their own evil ways, their own injustice was wreaking in their own city. Because God's not only concerned with our, you know, with with fixing the world only in the future. You know, it's not only in heaven or only when he makes all things right again. He's doing it now. And he's doing it here. And he's doing, he's already starting this. It's not completed yet, but he's already starting this. And I think that's so important to realize because we can so easily, so often see God as this, you know, rule-giving tyrant when in reality, when God tells us something is right for us or not right for us, it's, it's for our best interest. It's really, he's, re- he's revealing reality to us of how we're designed and how we, how we thrive as humans. 
And what he says is best for us is a relationship with him, a reconciled relationship with him. And I do want to say before we move to the next point, just the idea that there are a lot of good ideas out there, a lot of good intentions out there to change the world. And, And I'd be remiss to say that there's no good that comes from that. But when we set out to to try to change the world or try to fix things, try to fix our broken world, completely disregarding a relationship with our creator, with God. It's, it's like trying to, you know, only treat the symptoms and completely disregard the disease. You know, you can see some improvement, you can see some help, but it's not a lasting change. It's not a, it's not a, a deep change. But the next thing, so that's, that's our first idea. You know, God changes the world through reconciliation really with himself. And the next thing we see is that, um, the next thing we can see really in the story of Jonah is that God changes the world through his people. So what we, what we saw last week in Jonah chapter 2 was God extending grace to Jonah. You know, undeserved, unexpected, just extending grace to Jonah. And in the very beginning of chapter 3, God comes to Jonah a second time and says, okay, get up and go. And what that shows us is that we receive grace to extend grace. And we're reconciled to God to become reconcilers. And we see this really all through God's word. We see, you know, Abraham is blessed to be a blessing. You see Moses, he's delivered to safety as a child and God uses him as an adult to deliver the people of Israel from slavery. We see the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Jesus saves him by grace out of a life of really militant, you know, Jewish religion. And he saves him into a life of taking that message of grace, that gospel of Jesus, to non-Jewish people, primarily non-Jewish people, to invite them in and show them how they can be a part of God's family. And then in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, we see that any, any one of us who's, who's put our faith in Jesus, that we've been reconciled to God through Jesus, and we've been given a ministry of reconciliation. So we, again, we're, we receive grace to give grace. We're reconciled to be reconcilers. And it's, it's for anyone who's a follower of Jesus, not just you know some elite few or you know the select skilled people, because you don't have to look any, any further than Jonah to really see that. You know, if you just take a cursory look at Jonah, um, the guy that God is using in this chapter 3 to change Nineveh, we see a guy whose, you know, his intentions, his motives are terrible because as soon as Nineveh listens to him, he's mad. So he's got bad motives. He's got a, a lack of information, a lack of knowledge about who God really is. He's constantly kind of being hit in the face with this reality of who God really is. And it's, it's, he obviously wasn't aware of that on the front end. He's also not, he's got a lack of faith. He doesn't trust that God knows what's best in the decision that God is making with, in regards to Nineveh. And his message that he preached wasn't even that good, which that's super encouraging to me because Jonah's message was, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. And yet through that, God changes Nineveh. And if God can use a guy like Jonah to change a place like Nineveh, then he can use someone like you he can work through someone like you to change Severn or to change Glen Burnie or to change California or South Carolina or Florida or Canada or wherever you're listening from. He can use you. He can work through you to change your families and your workplace and your cities and really the world because God's plan A for reaching the world. It's, it's not just super Christians. It's not just church employees. It's the church. It's, it's all the followers of Jesus. That's his plan A to reach the world. That's the strategy he decides to use. And I think somewhere along the line, and I don't think this was done on purpose, but I do think, um, and not everybody thinks of church this way, but I think church has kind of become, along the line, it's become a place where people go to watch professional Christians try to be Christians. 
And I don't think anyone ever sat down and that was their mission statement. Like, let's turn church into this. Not everybody thinks of it that way, but that's kind of an overarching view that you can kind of tell, at least in America, church is kind of seen as a place that people go to watch professional Christians. And there's a lot of problems with that statement because, for one, the church isn't a place. It never has been, never will be. The church is a people. It's not a place you go. It's a people you're a part of. It's anyone who's a follower of Jesus. But not only that, there's really no such thing as a professional Christian. <laughs> like I, the, God, the Bible never makes a distinction between like super Christians who get all the gifts and all the talents, and they're the ones who get to be a part of God's plan to change the world. And then there are these lesser Christians who they don't get any gifts, they don't get any talents, and they don't get to participate. It, it really doesn't do that. And, and I don't even say this just so you know, I'm not saying this to guilt anybody or to try. Like this is for all of us because there's a real danger for, for someone like me who works at a church now. Uh, there's a real danger for, for God's mission, this purpose he has for his people to just become a career or to just become a job and, or, you know, where I feel like my, my relationship with God has to be a professional part of my resume. And that's, that's not good for anybody. But there's also a real danger for you, for someone who doesn't work at a church, but maybe the follower of Jesus, because you can also miss out on this mission, this purpose that God has for you, because it's so easy to get caught up in, in you know, your job, your full-time job and your family and your your pursuits and your hobbies and just all the things that can so easily, they're not bad enough themselves, but can so easily distract us and pull us away. And I think it's whenever, when we realize that this is, this is for all of us, you know, this isn't just for super Christians, whoever those people are. It's not just for church employees. It's for, for all of us. And maybe you feel like, hey, I'm just inadequate. I have poor motives, you know. I just, I just don't feel like I can be used by God to do anything worthwhile. Again, I, I just have to say it again. If God can use a guy like Jonah to t- change a place like Nineveh, then he can use you. He can work through you to change really the world. And maybe that sounds naive to you, but he can. He can work through you to do things you would never expect. And he can do that before you have right motives, before you have all answers to all your questions, and before you have everything figured out. And maybe you think, like, hey, that, that sounds pretty good. You know, the... Like, maybe you don't think that. Maybe you've already, you know, tuned out. But maybe you think, hey, that purpose God has for me sounds good. But uh, but it sounds way outside my comfort zone. Maybe you've kind of already tuned out because it is so far outside your comfort zone. You're like, oh, message about mission or purpose, that's not really for me. Um, I would just ask you to continue listening because we're made for so much more than comfort. You know, as, as easily as, as much as we love comfort and as much as we love, you know, ease and security, we're made for so much more than that. We're made for so much more than the American dream. And, uh, and again, I'm talking to myself here. Like I, I love comfort probably just as much, if not, if not more, than everybody listening right now. Um, just as an uh, exhibit A, as an example, um, for Christmas this year, my wife Shana bought me a bathrobe. It might, must be like the softest bathrobe ever invented by man, and it's quickly becoming uh, my favorite gift that I never asked for. Because I will sit in that thing and I'll read, and I'll just again, I'm reading, so I'm accomplishing my New Year's resolution. But, uh, but I'll just feel like I'm being hugged by luxury. Like, so all that to say, I'm just, I feel like that is just a picture of, okay, I really like comfort. But I heard a pastor say once, he said, uh, he said, comfort makes for a terrible compass. And that really stuck with me. He said, comfort makes for a terrible compass. And that stuck with me because, because I know how much I like comfort. And maybe you're like this. I know I can make decisions uh, where the first and sometimes the only question I'll consider is, am I comfortable with this? As opposed to considering is this good or is this what I'm called to do or is this the right thing to do? It would just be, am I comfortable with this? And I can really turn a lot of things away or say no quickly to a lot of things just only considering that question. But if, but if we want to be a part of this purpose or part of this, a part of a plan, a purpose bigger than us that God has for us as God's people, then comfort cannot be our goal and it can't be our guide. 
so again, this is definitely something that's uncomfortable to be a part of, of God's plan, to be used by God to change the world, but it's, it's definitely worth it. It's really best case scenario for us because really, I mean, as much as we might not always realize it, we are designed for purpose. We're designed for so much more. We're designed to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. I think sometimes that's why, you know, entertainment is such a, a draw because we can kind of live vicariously through the, the people who have these great purpose, like this great purpose in their life or, you know, read a book about someone who's a hero and read, see the purpose in their life. But we're made for a purpose bigger than ourselves. And there's no bigger purpose than being a part of God's plan to change the world. And beyond that, whenever you're on mission like this with God, you grow to know God and, and really see God in ways you never can. You never can outside of that, outside of being a part of this plan that he has for us. You know, and maybe, maybe you feel like Jonah where your past is just full of missed opportunities. You know, Jonah had to be told a second time to go. Maybe you feel like it's just a lot of what ifs, like oh, I could have done that, what if I'd done that? But the good news, the encouragement for us is that Jonah, Jonah had a, a, a God, the same God we have, who came to him a second time and said, get up and go. And God can come to you a second time. He can come to you a third time. He can come to you a fourth time. And he can still work through you and do things you would, would never even think possible. So that's the invitation to us. You know, we see, we see that this God is a, he's a reconciling God. He's reconciling the whole world to himself. And that we're called to be a, a part of that. And, and if this, um, you know, message today. If, if this is, if this makes you feel guilted or like I'm trying to coerce you to action, then I've definitely missed the mark. This is really, this is an invitation. It's an encouragement to first yourself be reconciled to God, but then to be a part of what God is doing in the world, and to be a part of really a purpose that's big enough to it's it's big enough to live for, your live your life for, and to die for. But as is always the case, you know, whenever we so often see things in God's word, we can't do this on our own. This isn't something that we can just, you know, through our effort or our ingenuity or our creativity, we can't do this on our own. And so often the work can feel fruitless. It can feel exhausting. We can feel inadequate. And that actually brings us to our last idea today, which is number three, that God changes the world through his power. And this is really where our hope lies. Because while God's strategy is to, to work through people, you know, he changes the world through his people, the hope for that actual change and transformation, the power for that change and transformation, it comes completely from God. Because you might have been listening today and say like, okay, Dave, you know, that sounds really nice and all, but also sounds really naive. You know, like, what makes you think that, like, have you, have you seen the news? Have you seen anything going on in the world today? Like, what makes you think that a few small Christians in Severn, Maryland, or wherever you're watching from, can make a difference in the world that has any kind of significance? You know, the world seems like a lost cause. Maybe that's how you feel today when you hear, or when you hear anyone talk about changing the world. Maybe that's how you always feel. Well, I just want to go out on a limb and say what we just read in Jonah chapter 3 um, was that Nineveh, who I'm pretty sure seemed like a lost cause, the city of Nineveh, on a dime, turned to God. They repented of their evil ways and their violence. would have been a remarkable thing to see. If you imagine seeing like the most you know, decrepit city you can think of, the most broken lives you can think of being completely changed, on a dime. That's what we just saw. But the only reason that this sort of repentance, this sort of transformation is possible in Nineveh is because of God's power. That's the only reason this sort of change is really possible in, in your life or in my life or in your city or in my city. Because this idea of even repenting, that's only possible because of Jesus. You know, the only reason that a, a just God can spare a city like Nineveh or a person like me or a person like you and still be just is because he sent his son, Jesus, because Jesus came down and served justice on our behalf. 
by dying on the cross, taking the punishment that we deserve, and making it possible for us to be forgiven and for for our repentance to be received with, with being spared because God didn't spare his own son so that he can spare us. And then through the power of God, Jesus was resurrected three days later, and that same God, that same power, works in us and through us today. And the only reason that a world can be reconciled or changed, our world can be reconciled and changed, is because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, through the, and it's through the power of God. And so if you feel like, if you ever feel like, or if you feel like right now that this world is a lost cause, or maybe you feel personally like you are a lost cause, there's hope, because God specializes in lost causes. It's like we get a great picture of that in Jonah 3. But, you know, what do we do with a, a teaching like this? So I just kind of want to leave us with a few, a few takeaways. You know, like, what do we actually do with this kind of, this kind of information? So the, the first thing would be that because we see that God changes the world through reconciliation, through reconciling it with himself, um, I think where we have to start is with our own relationship with God. You know, is your primary relationship okay? Are you right with God? You know, have you been reconciled to God? Have you humbled yourself like the city of Nineveh, have you repented from your ways that would be in opposition to what God says is right? And have you put your faith in Jesus, the one hope that we have? If you haven't done that, you can do that today. Like, you, There's nothing that has to stop you from that other than yourself. Like, you're, you're the only one standing between you in a right relationship with God. God has come all the way down and died to make that possible. But if you have been reconciled with God, you are a Christian, and you're a follower of God, but then knowing that that God changes the world through his people, you can be continually looking for opportunities to play a part in this plan he has, to bring the world into right relationship with him. And you can be doing this, this can look a million different ways. You can do it exactly where you are. You don't have to start working at a church or go on a short-term missions trip. You can actually just do this wherever you already are in your life. And, it, it, and one thing I can, I can say, too, is it, it won't be boring. Like, if you ever feel like the Christian life is boring, you might not be doing it right. You know, just for, for a minute, just think through a few things about how the Bible tells us that, that we're called to be on this mission. You know, start to open yourself up in community with other people and, and share your doubts and share your, your hopes, share your greatest failures. Talk about ways to actually do this, to actually help reconcile the world to God. And it definitely won't be boring. It might be terrifying, but it won't be boring. And start thinking of, of ways to have conversations with friends and family members and coworkers just about life and about faith, about Jesus, about the one hope that we do have. And that might be really awkward, but it's not going to be boring. You know, start thinking of ways to use your specific gifts and talents and abilities that God has given you to start alleviating suffering in your community or to point people to Jesus. And that might seem daunting, you know, to try to engage with a, your neighbors or your neighborhood or your city around you. That might seem daunting, but it won't be boring. And it'll definitely be worth it. You know, as, as the local church, what, what's so encouraging to me, to, I mean, we read Jonah, he had to go to Nineveh by himself. Like, he had God with him telling him what to do, but he was by himself. But as a local church, like, that's what it means to be a local church, is we get to do this together. You know, we don't have to be on our own as we go out and do these things or try to come up with ideas by ourselves or have all the skills ourselves. Like, that's what it means to be a part of the local church is to be on mission doing this. And that's when we're at our healthiest. And it won't always be fun. It won't be comfortable. It won't be easy, but it'll absolutely be worth it. And then lastly, knowing that God changes the world through his power, we can, we can stand in awe of him 
We can be praying to him, depending on him for the results, praising him for the results. And that's what, knowing that, it, that God's power is what really changes the world, it doesn't depend on us, is what can keep us from being cynical and saying this world can never change. It can help us from becoming arrogant and thinking, I'm the one with all the gifts, I can do this, I can change the world on my own, I can do it my way. And it can help us from getting burnt out and thinking, you know, I have to, this has to be all through my effort. You know, that knowing that it's God's power that brings the results, that brings the change in the world, that helps us avoid those, those three pitfalls we can fall into. Because Ninevehs don't, Ninevehs don't change outside of God's power. People don't change outside of God's power. And cities and the world don't change outside of God's power. So if you've ever wondered why, you know, every week we end up talking about Jesus or we end up talking, ending with Jesus, you know, you and I, we, because we, he's, he's our only hope, you know, we, you and I don't change outside of a relationship with Jesus. We can't be transformed in the way that we really feel. I think that we, we, a lot of us want to be changed, want to be transformed, but we'll never find it outside of Jesus. He's our only hope. And, and I think even with all the talking we do of Jesus, we could never, you know, talk him up too much. Like you could say things about Jesus that aren't true, but, but I think it's impossible to use words to, to like overemphasize how great Jesus is. And, uh, and I just want to close today reading Colossians. I just want to read Colossians 1, 15 through 20. This is just a chance to kind of really pause for a moment and just look at who Jesus really is, who our hope really is, where our hope really lies. <clears throat> so I'm going to read this. This is, again, Colossians 1, 15 through 20. This is about Jesus. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He's also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross, whether things on earth or things in heaven. So reconciliation is only possible through Jesus. Transformation is only possible through Jesus. So my prayer for us is that we would be a church that is reconciled individually. As individuals are reconciled to God, we have reconciled relationships with him through faith in Jesus. And then that we're in a church that's participating in God's plan to change the world around us for our good, for the good of the world around us, and, and really for God's glory. Let me pray for us. Father, I just thank you for, uh, for today. Um, thank you that, that hopefully today we're going to enjoy some, some really nice snow. And we just thank you that um, it's incredible to see how in control you are of everything, how powerful you are, how great you are, and that you care about change. You care about making this world right and making it making a new heavens and a new earth, making all things right with you. And uh, God, it's incredible that we get to be a part of that. And I just pray that um, as a church, as individuals, uh, we would see more clearly what that means for us, um, see the opportunities you put before us, and get to see you work in ways that we would, uh, we would never imagine. And we just thank you for your love. Thank you that, that you make uh, a right relationship with you possible. And uh, thank you that you care about us. And praise in Jesus' name. Amen.